American Notes, Chapter 4. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. American Notes by Charles Dickens, Chapter 4. An American Railroad, Lowell and its Factory System. Before leaving Boston, I devoted one day to an excursion to Lowell. I assign a separate chapter to this visit, not because I am about to describe it at any great length, but because I remember it as a thing by itself, and am desirous that my readers should do the same. I made acquaintance with an American railroad on this occasion for the first time. As these works are pretty much alike all through the States, their general characteristics are easily described. There are no first- and second-class carriages, as with us, but there is a gentleman's car and a lady's car. The main distinction between them, which is that in the first, everybody smokes, and in the second, nobody does. As a black man never travels with a white one, there is also a negro car, which is a great, blundering, clumsy chest such as Gulliver put to sea in from the kingdom of Brobdingnag. There is a great deal of jolting, a great deal of noise, a great deal of wall, not much window, a locomotive engine, a shriek, and a bell. The cars are like shabby omnibuses, but larger, holding thirty, forty, fifty people. The seats, instead of stretching from end to end, are placed crosswise. Each seat holds two persons. There is a long row of them on each side of the caravan, a narrow passage up the middle, and a door at both ends. In the centre of the carriage there is usually a stove fed with charcoal or anthracite coal, which is for the most part red-hot. It is insufferably close, and you see the hot air fluttering between yourself and any other object you may happen to look at, like the ghost of smoke. In the ladies' car there are a great many gentlemen who have ladies with them. There are also a great many ladies who have nobody with them, for any lady may travel alone from one end of the United States to the other, and be certain of the most courteous and considerate treatment everywhere. The conductor, or check-taker, or guard, or whatever he may be, wears no uniform. He walks up and down the car, and in and out of it, as his fancy dictates, leans against the door with his hands in his pockets, and stares at you, if you chance to be a stranger, or enters into conversation with the passengers about him. A great many newspapers are pulled out, and a few of them are read. Everybody talks to you, or to anybody else who hits his fancy. If you are an Englishman, he expects that the railroad is pretty much like an English railroad. If you say no, he says yes, interrogatively, and asks in what respect they differ. You enumerate the heads of difference, one by one, and he says yes, still interrogatively, to each. Then he guesses that you don't travel faster in England, and on your replying that you do, says yes, again, still interrogatively, and it is quite evident, don't believe it. After a long pause, he remarks, partly to you and partly to the knob on the top of his stick, that Yankees are reckoned to be considerable of a go-ahead people, too, upon which you say yes, and then he says yes again, affirmatively this time and upon your looking out of window tells you that behind that hill, and some three miles from the next station, there is a clever town in a smart location, where he expects you to have concluded to stop. Your answer in the negative naturally leads to more questions in reference to your intended route, always pronounced route, 
and whatever you are going, you invariably learn that you can't get there without immense difficulty and danger, and that all the great sights are somewhere else. If a lady takes a fancy to any male passenger's seat, the gentleman who accompanies her gives him notice of the fact, and immediately vacates it with great politeness. Politics are much discussed. So are banks, so is cotton. Quiet people avoid the question of the presidency, for there will be a new election in three years and a half, and party feeling runs very high, the great constitutional feature of this institution being that directly the acrimony of the last election is over, the acrimony of the next one begins, which is an unspeakable comfort to all strong politicians and true lovers of their country, that is to say, to ninety-nine men and boys out of every ninety-nine and a quarter except when a branch road joins the main one there is seldom more than one track of rails so that the road is very narrow and the view where there is a deep cutting by no means extensive when there is not the character of the scenery is always the same mile after mile of stunted trees some hewn down by the axe some blown down by the wind some half fallen and resting on their neighbours many mere logs half hidden in the swamp others mouldered away to spongy chips the very soil of the earth is made up of minute fragments such as these each pool of stagnant water has its crust of vegetable rottenness on every side there are the boughs and trunks and stumps of trees in every possible stage of decay decomposition and neglect now you emerge for a few brief minutes on an open country, glittering with some bright lake or pool, broad as many an English river, but so small here that it scarcely has a name. Now catch hasty glimpses of a distant town, with its clean white houses and their cool piazzas, its prim New England church and schoolhouse, when, were almost before you have seen them, comes the same dark screen, the stunted trees, the stumps, the logs, the stagnant water, all so like the last that you seem to have been transported back again by magic. The train calls at stations in the woods, where the wild impossibility of anybody having the smallest reason to get out is only to be equaled by the apparently desperate hopelessness of there being anybody to get in. It rushes across the turnpike road, where there is no gate, no policeman, no signal, nothing but a rough wooden arch on which is painted, When the bell rings, look out for the locomotive. On it whirls headlong, dives through the woods again, emerges in the light, clatters over frail arches, rumbles upon the heavy ground, shoots beneath a wooden bridge, which intercepts the light for a second like a wink, suddenly awakens all the slumbering echoes in the main street of a large town, and dashes on haphazard, pell-mell, neck or nothing, down the middle of the road. There, with mechanics working at their trades, and people leaning from their doors and windows, and boys flying kites and playing marbles, and men smoking and women talking, and children crawling and pigs burrowing and unaccustomed horses plunging and rearing, close to the very rails, there, on, 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 tears the mad dragon of an engine, with its train of cars, scattering in all directions a shower of burning sparks from its wood fire, screeching, hissing, yelling, panting, until at last the thirsty monster stops beneath the covered way to drink. The people cluster round, and you have time to breathe again. I was met at the station at Lowell by a gentleman intimately connected with the management of the factories there, and gladly putting myself under his guidance, drove off at once to that quarter of the town in which the works, the object of my visit, were situated. 
although only just of age, for if my recollection serves me, it has been a manufacturing town barely one and twenty years, Lowell is a large, populous, thriving place. Those indications of its youth, which first attracted the eye, give it a quaintness and oddity of character which to a visitor from the old country is amusing enough. It was a very dirty winter's day, and nothing in the whole town looked old to me except the mud, which in some parts was almost knee-deep, and might have been deposited there on the subsiding of the waters after the deluge. In one place there was a new wooden church, which, having no steeple, and being yet unpainted, looked like an enormous packing-case without any direction upon it. In another there was a large hotel, whose walls and colonnades were so crisp and thin and slight that it had exactly the appearance of being built with cards. I was careful not to draw my breath as we passed, and trembled when I saw a workman come out upon the roof, lest with one thoughtless stamp of his foot he should crash the structure beneath him and bring it rattling down. The very river that moves the machinery in the mills, for they are all worked by water-power, seems to acquire a new character from the fresh buildings of bright red brick and painted wood, among which it takes its course, and to be as light-headed, thoughtless, and brisk a young river, in its murmurings and tumblings, as one would desire to see. One would swear that every bakery, grocery, and book-bindery, and other kinds of store, took its shutters down for the first time, and started in business yesterday. The golden pestles and mortars fixed as signs upon the sun-blind frames outside the druggists appears to have been just turned out of the United States Mint, and when I saw a baby of some week or ten days old in a woman's arms at a street corner, I found myself unconsciously wondering where it came from, never supposing for an instant that it could have been born in such a young town as that. There are several factories in Lowell each of which belongs to what we should term a company of proprietors, but what they call in America a corporation. I went over several of these, such as a woolen factory, a carpet factory, and a cotton factory, examined them in every part, and saw them in their ordinary working aspect with no preparation of any kind or departure from their ordinary everyday proceedings. I may add that I am well acquainted with our manufacturing towns in England, and have visited many mills in Manchester and elsewhere in the same manner. I happened to arrive at the first factory just as the dinner hour was over, and the girls were returning to their work. Indeed, the stairs of the mill were thronged with them as I ascended. They were all well dressed, but not to my thinking above their condition for I like to see the humbler classes of society careful in their dress and appearance, and even, if they please, decorate it with such little trinkets as come within the compass of their means. Supposing it confined within reasonable limits, I would always encourage this kind of pride as a worthy element of self-respect in any person I employed, and should no more be deterred from doing so, because some wretched female referred her fall to a love of dress, than I would allow my construction of the real intent and meaning of the Sabbath to be influenced by any warning to the well-disposed, founded on his backslidings on that particular day, which might emanate from the rather doubtful authority of a murderer in Newgate. These girls, as I have said, were all well-dressed, and that phrase necessarily includes extreme cleanliness. They have serviceable bonnets, good warm cloaks and shawls, and were not above clogs and patterns. Moreover, there were places in the mill in which they could deposit these things without injury, and there were conveniences for washing. They were healthy in appearance, many of them remarkably so, and had the manners and deportment of young women, not of degraded brutes of burden. 
If I had seen in one of these mills, but I did not, though I looked for something of this kind with a sharp eye, the most lisping, mincing, affected, and ridiculous young creature that my imagination could suggest, I should have thought of the careless, moping, slatternly, degraded, dull reverse. I have seen that, and should have been still well pleased to look upon her. The rooms in which they worked were as well ordered as themselves. In the windows of some there were green plants which were trained to shade the glass. In all there were as much fresh air, cleanliness, and comfort as the nature of the occupation would possibly admit of. Out of so large a number of females, many of whom were only then just verging upon womanhood, it may be reasonably supposed that some were delicate and fragile in appearance, no doubt they were but I solemnly declare that from all the crowd I saw in the different factories that day I cannot recall or separate one young face that gave me a painful impression, not one young girl whom, assuming it to be a matter of necessity that she should gain her daily bread by the labour of her hands, I would have removed from those works if I had had the power. They reside in various boarding-houses near at hand. The owners of the mills are particularly careful to allow no persons to enter upon the possession of these houses whose characters have not undergone the most searching and thorough inquiry. Any complaint that is made against them by the boarders or by any one else is fully investigated, and if good ground of complaint be shown to exist against them, they are removed, and their occupation is handed over to some more deserving person. There are a few children employed in these factories, but not many. The laws of the state forbid their working more than nine months of the year, and require that they be educated during the other three. For this purpose there are schools in Lowell, and there are churches and chapels of various persuasions, in which the young women may observe that form of worship in which they have been educated. At some distance from the factories, and on the highest and pleasantest ground in the neighbourhood, stands their hospital, or boarding-house for the sick. It is the best house in those parts, and was built by an eminent merchant for his own residence. Like that institution at Boston, which I have before described, it is not parcelled out into wards, but is divided into convenient chambers, each of which has all the comforts of a very comfortable home. The principal medical attendant resides under the same roof, and were the patients members of his own family they could not be better cared for, or attended with greater gentleness and consideration. The weekly charge in this establishment for each female patient is three dollars, or twelve shillings English, but no girl employed by any of the corporations is ever excluded for want of the means of payment. That they do not very often want the means may be gathered from the fact that in July 1841 no fewer than 978 of these girls were depositors in the Lowell Savings Bank, the amount of whose joint savings was estimated at $100,000, or 20,000 English pounds. I am now going to state three facts which will startle a large class of readers on this side of the Atlantic very much. Firstly, there is a joint-stock piano in many of the great boarding-houses. Secondly, nearly all these young ladies subscribe to circulating libraries. Thirdly, they have got up among themselves a periodical called the Lowell Offering, a repository of original articles written exclusively by females actively employed in the mills, which is duly printed, published, and sold, and whereof I brought away from Lowell four hundred good solid pages which I have read from beginning to end. The large class of readers, startled by these facts, will exclaim with one voice, How very preposterous! On my deferentially inquiring why, they will answer, These things are above their station. In reply to that objection, I would beg to ask what their station is. 
It is their station, and they do work. They labour in these mills upon an average twelve hours a day, which is unquestionably work, and pretty tight work, too. Perhaps it is above their station to indulge in such amusements on any terms. Are we quite sure that we in England have not formed our ideas of the station of working people from accustoming ourselves to the contemplation of that class as they are, and not as they might be? i think that if we examine our own feelings we shall find that the pianos and the circulating libraries and even the lowell offerings startle us by their novelty and not by their bearing upon any abstract question of right or wrong for myself i know no station in which the occupation of to-day cheerfully done and the occupation of to-morrow cheerfully looked to any one of these pursuits is not most humanizing and laudable I know no station which is rendered more endurable to the person in it, or more safe to the person out of it, by having ignorance for its associate. I know no station which has a right to monopolize the means of mutual instruction, improvement, and rational entertainment, or which has ever continued to be a station very long after seeking to do so. On the merits of the Lowell offering as a literary production, I will only observe, putting entirely out of sight the fact of the articles having been written by these girls after the arduous labours of the day, that it will compare advantageously with a great many English annuals. It is pleasant to find that many of its tales are of the mills and of those who work in them, that they inculcate habits of self-denial and contentment, and teach good doctrines of enlarged benevolence. A strong feeling for the beauties of nature is displayed in the solitudes the writers have left at home, breathes through its pages like a wholesale village air, and though a circulating library is a favourable school for the study of such topics, it has very scant allusion to fine clothes, fine marriages, fine houses, or fine life. Some persons might object to the papers being signed occasionally with rather fine names, but this is an American fashion. One of the provinces of the state legislature of Massachusetts is to alter ugly names into pretty ones, as the children improve upon the taste of their parents. These changes costing very little or nothing, scores of Mary Anns are solemnly converted into Bevelinas every season. It is said that on the occasion of a visit from General Jackson or General Harrison to this town, I forget which, but it is not to the purpose, he walked through three miles and a half of these young ladies, all dressed out with parasols and silk stockings. But as I am not aware that any worse consequence ensued than a sudden looking up of all the parasols and silk stockings in the market, and perhaps the bankruptcy of some speculative New Englander who bought them all up at any price in expectation of a demand that never came, I set no great store by the circumstance. In this brief account of Lowell, an inadequate expression of the gratification it yielded me, and cannot fail to afford to any foreigner to whom the condition of such people at home is a subject of interest and anxious speculation, I have carefully abstained from drawing a comparison between these factories and those of our own land. Many of the circumstances whose strong influence has been at work for years in our manufacturing towns have not arisen here, and there is no manufacturing population in Lowell, so to speak, for these girls, often the daughters of small farmers, come from other states, remain a few years in the mills, and then go home for good. The contrast would be a strong one, for it would be between the good and evil, the living light and deepest shadow, I abstain from it because I deem it just to do so. 
but I only the more earnestly abjure all those whose eyes may rest on these pages to pause and reflect upon the difference between this town and those great haunts of desperate misery, to call to mind if they can, in the midst of party strife and squabble, the efforts that must be made to purge them of their suffering and danger, and last and foremost to remember how precious time is rushing by. I returned at night by the same railroad and in the same kind of car. One of the passengers, being exceedingly anxious to expound at great length to my companion, not to me, of course, the true principles on which books of travel in America should be written by Englishmen, I feigned to fall asleep. But glancing all the way out at window from the corners of my eyes, I found abundance of entertainment for the rest of the ride in watching the effects of the wood-fire, which had been invisible in the morning, but were now brought out in full relief by the darkness for we were travelling in a whirlwind of bright sparks which showered about us like a storm of fiery snow. End of chapter 4